So we're going to uh, look at a, a very familiar passage, the story of Zacchaeus. If you grew up in the church, you uh, probably know Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see, see, see. And if you've never heard that before, good on you. Um, uh, it is, yeah. Uh, we are we are going to look at uh, look at him today. Um, uh, this is a uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, passages and uh, a pretty uh, significant one. Before um, before we pray today, though, let me give you a bit of an assignment. So when I read the text, when we read the text in a few minutes, be on the lookout in in the text for all the times the words seek or see or or look. Uh, are in the passage because that's that's a big key really uh, to what uh, what Luke wants us to take away from this this morning. So uh, remember that see, seek, look, and then uh, let me pray and uh, we'll get going. Lord, thank you today. Uh, without you seeking us, we would never seek you. Uh, thanks for seeing us, for looking upon us, for knowing us. Uh, thanks for uh, that day you walked through Jericho and uh, changed uh, Zacchaeus, and I would suspect that town forever. And so I pray that uh, you would comfort and encourage us today, that you would help us, uh, that you would, um, well, um, give us the great gift of your grace uh, and give us the great gift of repentance. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, the text is uh, in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I am a big fan of Zacchaeus. Uh, I know what it's like to be in a crowd and not be able to see. And so I uh, fully understand what life uh, must have been like for him. Uh, when we, uh, not long after we'd started West End, a good friend of mine at a Presbyterian meeting came up to me and said, hey, I was just talking to dear brother so-and-so over here. And I asked him, I'm like, have you heard about, you know, what the Lord's doing through, you know, Steve Shelby at West End? And um, the guy's like, yeah, I heard about that. It's amazing, you know, and he's so short. He really said that, really said that, um, you know, because he is. And, um, and I guess, uh, you know, short people are doomed to be failures, I uh, suspect. Um, 
uh, it is it is a funny kind of a funny story, isn't it? I mean, when we when we read this, and there's a lot about this story that uh, kind of uh, well is 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 quite unusual. Um, I hope and I pray this morning that your familiarity with this text uh, would not keep you from uh, uh, some of the deep things uh, that run through it. Uh, and the first thing I want to say this morning uh, that this text teaches us is this. God loves the rich. Now, that's very controversial and very unexpected, isn't it? Right? God loves the rich. Uh, we tend to think, uh, no, that's, that's not the case. But uh, let me just show you. Uh, Colleen, would you put some notes up there for me, right? Uh, Abraham was rich in cattle. Job, who God said there was nobody in the world like him, when he was alive, he was the richest man on the planet. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom and great wealth. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were both rich guys. And, and by then, uh, you know, Jesus was able to have a tomb to be buried in. Uh, and our destiny is a city whose streets are paved with gold and whose walls are dotted with precious gemstones. Right? But even more than that, you know, in one of the, the most moving passages in the gospel at night, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and tried to justify himself before Jesus. He was rich. He knew the law. He, he was an obedient, observant uh, Jewish person. And Jesus looked into his heart and saw that he loved his money more than anything else. And, and Jesus said, well, sell everything that you have and then come and follow me. And the young man went away because he was rich. And what does the scripture say? And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He even loved a rich guy who loved his money more than he loved him. Right? Now, you, you know, we live in a day and age where, you know, we uh, uh, there's a... Um, Wealth is frowned upon. Uh, most of the problems in the world are due to the one percent, and uh, um, and so we we very easily put ourselves in a situation where we judge uh, people like that. Go, go back, Colleen. Um, um, but uh, the fact that God loves the rich is great news for you people, for all of us, because as far as I can tell. Uh, way more than half the people on the planet live on less than $10 a day. And there's some statistics from the World Bank that say it's less than $2.50 a day. So most of you spent more than what people make in a day on your way to church here this morning. So if God doesn't love the rich, you're in trouble. Because by any any measure by any standard that we would look at in the world, right? You're rich, okay? 
And so that is, that is one of the things that's kind of a, a startling thing about this, right? Because somehow or other we can make our peace with the fact that, well, you know, uh, Jesus loves the poor and, and, you know, I think of myself as poor. Uh, but it would be interesting to see what God thinks of your economic status when he looks across the span of, of the world, right? So it's good news for us that God loves the rich because most of us in this room, and in fact, I would say probably by this standard, uh, most of us are in the top uh, 50, 40, 30, 20% of the world's population. So I came across this quote from Scott Sauls uh, uh, this week. Next, next slide, Colleen. And this, um, oh, oh yeah, well, yeah, go back. Yeah, this is, it gets even better. Uh, I forgot about this. Go back one slide. Yeah, one more. Hey, there we go. So did you know that anxiety and depression are most common among the affluent? A lot of you I probably didn't have to tell that to because you're affluent and you've got anxiety and depression uh, uh, right in your den, right? Um, 22% of girls from financially comfortable homes suffer from clinical depression. That's about three times the average across uh, the population, right? So, you know, it's a pretty startling thing, isn't it? I wonder if Zacchaeus struggled with depression. It certainly seems he struggled with loneliness, and it certainly seems he, he struggled probably with paranoia. And, you know, you're, you're not really paranoid if people really hate you. And, uh, and from what we can tell in, in Jericho, uh, people really hated him. <laughs> so, you know, bl- God bless him, the little uh, thief, you know. Uh, yeah, he was in trouble. But it's also true that God loves the poor. No doubt about that. That makes us feel better, right? That's, that's a little more palatable that God, God loves the poor. That's good. He does. You know, his own people were slaves uh, for uh, hundreds of years in Egypt. And he came and he delivered them. And what did he do when he delivered them? He made them rich. They plundered the Egyptians, right? We know that Jesus walked this earth and he identified with the lepers, the sick, uh, the broken, And one of his most famous stories was of Lazarus and the rich man, right? The rich man doesn't get named, but Lazarus does. The one who sat outside the gate while the rich man partied with his friends and the dogs came and licked his sores. He ends up in the bosom of Abraham while the rich man does not, right? So the the fact is, what we have to say about this is is that contrary to the way we may dictate to God about how his love goes and and who he blesses and who he doesn't, that the reality of the situation is that that our God is a profligate lover, a prodigal lover, uh, and he loves those that we would deem unacceptable, and he loves those that we would deem acceptable, and he would love those that are in between, Right? And so it's a pretty, pretty profound uh, place for us to settle in on this morning. So next, next, next slide. So Scott Saul's a pastor in, in Nashville, has written this. In a world where blame is placed on the 1% and where income disparity between rich and poor bring out the best in some and the worst in others, are we able to look past greed, wherever greed truly exists, to the fears and insecurities that drive the greed? Are we able to look at the rich young ruler and love him? Jesus did. Are we able to look at Zacchaeus, the wealthy, crooked, unjust, and friendless tax collector, and say, we're coming to your house today? 
Now, let me just stop right here and say something. If you're worshiping here uh, and you've been worshiping here for a while, you know that one of the projects we're working on this year is we are uh, trying to figure out to do something really radically risk-driven. We're actually working on a project where we might ask somebody who lives in our neighborhood to come and eat a meal at our house. What? Really? What is wrong with those people? Are you crazy? Right? Well, maybe you're not. You just don't have time to do it or you're not interested or you certainly don't want to invite somebody who's richer than you or... Or, or something like that. I, I, don't, I don't know. But one of the things that you have to see about this text, one of the things that's very clear that Jesus is doing here is, is, you know, a lot of Jesus's work in his ministry happens at the table, at the house, hanging out, just going. I mean, just imagine, you know, like I said, Zacchaeus had to be lonely. Everybody in the village hates him. And here comes somebody who says, you know what? I'm coming to your house. Get ready. I'm coming to your house. Maybe there's somebody in your neighborhood. Wait, let me stop. There is someone in your neighborhood that you hate, that you dislike intensely. Maybe it's because they got a boat parked in front of their house all the time. (laughs) Maybe it's because they don't get their leaves up. (laughs) Maybe it's because they don't have any leaves in their yard. Madeline, my daughter, said to me one time, hey, you think Mr. So-and-so is upset? And I said, why? She said, I saw a pine cone in his front yard. (laughs) Maybe you don't like that guy either, right? What would it be like to say, hey, would you come over and have a cup of coffee with me? Jesus is all about the ministry of hospitality, isn't he? And and what a profound thing for him to come to this hated, lonely, probably paranoid thief and say, I'm coming to your house today, right? Next slide. Um, so let's, let's look a little bit more here at what's, what's, what's going on. So clearly Zacchaeus is hated. He's a small man indeed, right? Not only his heart is small because for whatever reason, whatever drives him, the, the greed, the stealing, the, the, the fact that he's identified as a tax collector with the oppressive Roman government, that he can kind of come and take and do whatever he wants to, that his accountability to the Romans is uh, only based on how much money he collects. There's really, you know, nobody's going to come to him and say, hey, Zacchaeus, quit being mean or quit stealing. As long as as the Romans get their quota, he can pretty much do whatever he wants to do, right? And so he hears the word that Jesus is going to come through his town. And so he wants to go out on the road, out to sea, Jesus comes through, right? Now, now, why does he want to go see Jesus? We're not really told that, but my assumption is that he wants to go and see Jesus because maybe word has leaked to Zac- Zacchaeus that Jesus is one who eats with tax collectors and sinners, Maybe news has reached Jericho that this rabbi is coming through town who actually loves these kind of people, who loves people like like Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, who is alone and lonely and broken and turned in on himself, he hears, wait, here's somebody who at least 
by reputation uh, seems to love people like me. Who loves people like me. Sinner, tax collector, liar, thief, unjust. Right? So he climbs a tree because nobody's going to make a way for him. Nobody's going to part so that he can see him. So he goes and climbs a tree. And I, and I thought about this this week. I mean, can you imagine Warren Buffett climb, climbing a tree? Can, can, you, can you imagine Bill Gates climbing a tree? Jeff Bezos, I can kind of see Bezos doing that because I, I think he works out a lot. But um, Or that crazy guy, Elon Musk, is he going to climb a tree? He's going to stand on top of his Tesla, right, as, uh, as Jesus comes by. Rich, feet, rich men don't climb trees, right? They're too cool for that. They're, they're, they're not going to do that. But in a place, in a village where you're the rich person that everybody despises, uh, uh, the only way he can get to see Jesus, the only way he can seek out Jesus is to get up into the tree and, and see what this guy looks like, what he's like, who, who says he loves people like me. And so he climbs this tree. And it's funny because he climbs the tree to see Jesus. But what do we see is it's not that Zacchaeus sees Jesus. It's that Jesus, as he's going by, looks and sees Zacchaeus. And I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this because it's not just that Jesus looks up into the tree and says, hey, little man, come down. I'm going to eat at your house today. He looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus, don't skip over that. You see, the thing that we have to understand about this is that our God, this Jesus who comes and he loves people like Zacchaeus, loves people like you, doesn't look at his people as this faceless blob, but he knows you by name. He knows your hurts. He knows your loneliness. He knows your brokenness. He knows your good things, your bad things. He knows your sin, your lust, your coveting, your bitterness, your anger, your joys. Your service, he sees it all. He knows you and he calls you by name. You know, it's, it is so important for us to understand that, that the gospel comes to us not just as a set of truths, not just as a set of propositions, but it comes to us in the, in the place of a relationship where this God looks at you and he says, Hey, Steve. Hey, Bill. Hey, Mike. I know you, you're mine. Uh, one of the great things that has happened in our family this, this year is uh, our youngest, our daughter, after graduating from college, working a year, is in grad school. And uh, uh, she lives at our house while she's in grad school. So she's taking grad school classes and she's working three jobs. I'm so proud of her. I mean, I, I can't tell you how proud I am of her. But the problem with her working three jobs is she lives at our house, but I never see her. Honestly, she's, our schedules are, are uh, rarely sync up. But the few times a week that I do get to see her is as I'm flossing my teeth at night um, to go to bed. I go upstairs and I'm flossing my teeth and I think, oh, our light's on down the hallway. And so I go, <laughs> go down the hallway and I... While I'm flossing my teeth, I, I go in her room, which is good because I can't talk while I'm flossing my teeth, so I have to listen, right? So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a great, uh, it's, it's our, you know, 30 seconds to a minute interaction uh, of a week, and I get to kind of take the temperature and, 
see what's going on, and I get to look around in a room. I never go in a room. And I noticed this week, I don't know how long it's been in a room, but I noticed this week she's got a painting, a thing that she did, and it says, you are worth more than many sparrows. And I was just struck by that. Now, first of all, my initial reaction was, oh, no. She needs this because she feels bad about herself. And, of course, as a dad, I'm like, what a jerk, what a loser. You know, your daughter your daughter has poor self-esteem because you're a jerk, right? That's where I, you know, hey, Black hole, very comfortable for me. I know where that is. I know what that feels like, right? That's my, that's my safe space, right? I, I know to go there. I know, how to, I know how to navigate that. But then I thought, you know what? No, she knows where to go and who has the truth and who in a world where your value is based on how smart you are, how good looking you are, whether you have a boyfriend or a fiance or not, whether you're making a lot of money, where her worth is. Who knows her by name, right? And so I, as, I, as I hear this and as I see this, you know, poor Zacchaeus has given his life to find his worth and his value in money. And he's loved money so much that he's willing to sacrifice relationships with the people in the town where he lives uh, to have this money, right? And yet Jesus comes and says, no, Zacchaeus, your worth is more than that. I know you. I came here today for you, right? Next slide. So one of the things that is important about us to see about this is, is, is Jesus, you know, literally kind of shouts, Zacchaeus. Come down, hurry, hurry. There's an urgency that, that Jesus is, in a sense, saying to Zacchaeus, you know, this, this is what I'm here for. This is, this is what I came to do. I want you to come down right now, and I want you to go to your house because I must go to your house today. It is imperative that you hurry, that you come down, and that you and I uh, get, get together. Now, the thing that's so impressive about this is when Zacchaeus climbed that tree and he went to see Jesus, was he a thief? Was he a liar? Was he a defrauder? Yes. When Jesus said to him, hey, Zacchaeus, come down off that tree. I must go to your house today. Was he a liar, a thief, a defrauder then? Yes. He still was. Jesus didn't say to him, hey, Zacchaeus, if you'll quit doing this terrible stuff, I'll come to your house. Right? Instead, Jesus just looks at him and says, I came to Jericho today to come to your house. Today, I am coming to your house. I must see you. And so Zacchaeus gets down, hurries to the house, and Jesus goes there. We don't know what their conversation was like. You know, it's, it reminds me of, of Peter's conversation with Jesus on the, on the, the seashore after uh, uh, Jesus' resurrection, when right before Jesus um, restores him. We don't know what it was like, I'm sure. Jesus said to him, like, what are you doing stealing? What's wrong? 
I, you know, who knows what the content of their conversation is, but the thing that we know is that Jesus changed him because as a result of Jesus's care, his love, his interaction, his, his kindness to him, uh, Zacchaeus has changed forever. He, he decides to give away half of all that he has, and he does more than what the law requires to give back to all the people that he's stolen from and defrauded, right? So something profound happens there. Jesus encounters Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. And that love, that grace, that mercy, that kindness, that patience, that gentleness, that love that is uh, uh, overwhelms and overcomes his sin, uh, over, uh, that's prodigal and profligate and wonderful and rich and full and deep, makes Zacchaeus a different man. He responds, therefore, in love and grace and mercy. Uh, to the people around him, right? And then what do we read about this? When they, the infamous they, whoever they are, saw it, they grumbled and said, this man eats with sinners. Praise God. (laughs) This man eats with sinners, right? It is, uh, it's a pretty powerful thing for us to think about, right? That, That the God who comes to town comes to live with the sinners. He comes to live with us in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our darkness and in our fears and uh, in our sinfulness and our bitterness and our restlessness. Jesus, when, the, when John says that uh, he came and he pitched his tent among us, Jesus doesn't find the best people to pitch his tent among. Jesus doesn't find the saints, you know, that are already cleaned up and got their act together to pitch his, his tent with. He comes and he pitches his tent with the Zacchaeuses of the world, and he comes to them in grace and mercy. He atones for the darkest, ugliest, nastiest sins, and he comes for those that we would think are absolutely unacceptable, but he does that, right? He's willing to get his hands dirty. He's willing to get his body broken. He's willing to experience death where death reigns so that he can overcome death and kill it, right? So the God who comes to live with sinners in our homes, our neighborhoods, and even our churches, this is the Jesus that we proclaim here. So a few things I want you to think about uh, uh, this afternoon. Next, next slide, please, Colleen. So uh, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? I don't know what you think Jesus was for. I don't know if you think he simply uh, walked the earth to make people feel better about him, themselves. I don't know if you believe that Jesus came to kind of prop up your own uh, particular uh, thoughts about things. But Jesus says that the reason he came was to seek and save that which was lost, that he came to seek and save the lost sheep, that he came to be a shepherd to sheep with no shepherd, that he came to do what no one else could do to save, to redeem, to know, to love, and to restore a broken people like us. Don't ever forget that. You know, Jesus didn't come to win elections. Jesus didn't come to um, make you rich. Jesus didn't come to make you comfortable. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost because what was lost could never be found. He did it. And I, I said this in the earlier service, and um, 
I've said this a million times before over the last 26 years, and I always get a rise out of people about this, is, listen, you think you're seeking God? You're not. God's seeking you. You would never seek this Jesus unless he sought you first. But that's the good news is his seeking is purposeful and successful because he finds and saves that which is lost, right? So just a few more things. There are no little people to Jesus. You know, there are little people to me, people that don't matter, people that are invisible. Jesus came to look for the invisible. Jesus came to look for the people that that are uh, the people that we think are the most impossible for him to save. He came for them. Secondly, what we see is uh, Zacchaeus' experience of, of honesty and grace and mercy from Jesus is what drives his repentance. Jesus doesn't wait for um, uh, Zacchaeus to get his act together before he says salvation has come to this house. He says salvation has come to this house. You're, 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 you're a child of Abraham. You belong to him. And this, this giving away of his money and this restoring of things, that is, that's not repenting. That's not penance. That is the fruit of repentance. That's him seeing his sin, seeing Jesus' kindness. And as a result of that, this is how his behavior will be changed. One of the things that I think is remarkable about this story is, and one of the things that makes Jesus so uh, remarkable to me is that he looks past a person's wealth. Uh, and and he, doesn't, he doesn't hold their wealth against them or he doesn't uh, uh, envy it. He just simply sees it as a data point in our lives and uh, just something that is true of us that needs to be redeemed like the rest of us. Can you do that? Could you befriend someone who's wildly different from you in terms of your sociology, economics, whatever? Could you do that? Maybe this morning you're a Zacchaeus. Maybe you're a liar, a a thief, a cheat, a defrauder. Maybe, you know, you're a a big sinner and, and people know that about you and they've rejected you. Or maybe this morning you're a they. You're looking about in in self-righteousness and judging uh, uh, the rest of the the folks around you. In in either way, Jesus comes to town to seek and to save that which was lost, right? And then lastly, we have to ask the question, you know, if if, if Jesus comes to Richmond, where's he going to go stay and work? Who would he hang out with? Whose house would he go to? Are you ready for him to come to your house? To change you forever, right? You see, I think the thing that's pretty profound about this is, is that uh, I came across a Puritan take on this uh, text today. And it says to us that this really is a story of two trees. Zacchaeus thinks he has to go up a tree to see Jesus, but in a few weeks, Jesus will be nailed to a tree so that the whole world can see him and so that the whole world can see who he is and what it is that he has brought and what it is he has done 
and what it is his atonement actually means. There is no sin so deep. There is no hurt so broken that Jesus cannot come and restore. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together by using this uh, prayer of confession. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you in need of your grace. We have sinned against you and our neighbor. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Too often have we chosen the fruit over the garden. Too often have we bowed down to the golden calf. Too often have we begged for a sign. Too often have we declared Caesar to be Lord. Too often have we demanded to see the wounds in your hand. Too often have we substituted our image of you for you. Too often have we neglected your call to be salt and light. Too often have we reduced following Christ to self-righteousness. Too often have we forgotten Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Too often have we acted on sight and not on faith. Lord, have mercy. Believer, hear the good news. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name. And he gave it to his disciples. What a lonely existence uh, Zacchaeus must have experienced until that day as a breath of fresh air. Someone came and wanted to be with him. We're a lonely society. We're a lonely culture, aren't we? Uh, Many of us uh, would do almost anything to alleviate that sense of loneliness, right? Uh, and yet what we see about Jesus is, is that while we, we may be lonely, right, we may experience that, 
The truth is that we're never alone, that he always comes for us, that he comes seeking us, drawing us, reminding us of his grace, reminding us that he has atoned uh, for our sins. And so as we come to the table today, we have an opportunity to be reminded of the great thing that Christ has done for us, that he came and that he completed his mission, that he, is, he did the work so that he could seek and save that which was lost. Um, all of us who are in Christ today can say, like Zacchaeus, we were lost and Jesus found us. Don't straighten yourself up. Don't try to get your act together. Don't try to put the pieces of your life back together and then entrust yourself to Jesus. Trust him now. If that's your joy and that's your hope, you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, he says to you today to come to taste and to see the goodness of the Lord. Let his kindness, let his gentleness, let his, ater- his atoning work be what draws you to him and what drives your repentance this morning. That's your hope. You profess that to a body of believers somewhere. He wants you to come. He wants you to eat. He wants you to drink. He wants you to be renewed. And he wants you to do that in the community with other Zacchaeuses and other broken, needy sinners just like you. So as the elders and deacons come down front this morning to assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.